podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to this week's FYP podcast. And isn't the world a rosier place all of a sudden? I'm your host this week, Jack Pierce, joining you and I to discuss all things Oliver Glasner, Saturday's fantastic win against Burnley, answer your questions, play 3-2-1, and look ahead to a trip north of the river this weekend are the Athletic's Dominic Firefield. Dom, fresh from last week's excellent athletic pod, profiling Oliver Glasner. I'm afraid you won't have the company of Rafa Honigstein this time. You'll have to make do with me just being one sixteenth German, I'm afraid. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Rafa was was excellent on that podcast, I have to say. Did offer a, a very good insight into uh, into Oliver Glasner's mindset and approach to, to football management. Not not to plug another podcast immediately, but listener, if you haven't listened back to that one, <laughs> it's uh, it's a very good listen and, uh, and my kids interesting perspective. <laughs> Yes, and uh, yeah, Dom Dom needs looking after. So yeah, no, truly, Dom, excellent, and uh, some lovely insights into uh, and what we'll talk about more this uh, this uh, afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're listening. Um, and having negotiated the choppiest of waters last week, it's not only your friend of mine, Joe Walker, but he's also Chris Richards' new best mate too. Joe, explain all. Uh, yes, uh, there was a quote from I think his post match interview with Chris Grierson. Um, explaining the hairdo. He essentially implied that having his afro grown out, or certainly not that sort of um, cornrowed together, was to help cushion and head the ball to his want and will, and which is why he scored, according to him. It may have been an off-the-cuff joke, and my response to that was, that sounds like, you know, proven Fellaini science. Mm. I I often had, you know, just pub, pub talk, pub theories. I thought... It's that afro that makes Fellaini so formidable in the air because it's he can just kind of he's more in control of it. There's more of him to control it, and uh, he was an, uh, finally another exhibit to demonstrate that proof. And Chris Richards, I mean, just by virtue of a few emojis, seemed to very enjoy that a lot. So did yeah, we're basically best buds now. You're best buds now. Uh, yeah. Did he follow you? He did not, and it's for the best because I, I, I <laughs> we'll get into. I thought I really enjoyed his performance on the weekend. Okay. I have been critical prior to that about particular aspects of his game um but we'll get into that because I, I thought he was good fun on he on was that. good and we we will get into uh to all things chris richards uh obviously marked his uh or oh, saturday was the marking of his first palace goal so uh that's great joe how are you just generally all good recovered after last week yeah this is um this is a it's nice to have a much earlier start and i i don't anticipate it going on as long as that last one it was it was delightful to finally speak with adam sales i've never actually that was my first meeting um but we call that with that record in total went to about I think two and a half approaching two, two, t- touching two three hours. Yeah, touching yeah. three hours. And um, yeah. what we didn't reveal last week is the cleaner of Joe's office actually made several appearances throughout that podcast, uh, just asking him if he was nearly done, which just added to the the whole experience. But hey, yeah. it was it was good fun and it needed to it needed to be done. And listener, we love all your feedback. Good, bad, ugly, keep it coming. I really, I really appreciate that. It was, I was quite enlightened by the balance of the feedback to that episode because 
I know there are a lot of people that do just want to draw a line under the last previous management and, and how things have gone. We're starting new. Um, and I appreciate that totally. And we didn't spend as much time on that as we perhaps might have. But there were a load of people that were really pleased that someone spoke up for Roy Hodgson in the way that Adam Sells did at the same time. So you can't please everybody all of the time to borrow, borrow a salesy line from that pod. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did it. No regrets. That's, what, that's where I'm at. No regrets. I'm with you. I'm with you. That was, yeah. We move, though. As, to quote a Joe Walkerism, yes. we move. We, we move. move. Uh, we'll also be joined a little later by Bobby and Emma from the Palace for Life Foundation to talk about the Cycle to Wolves event, which is all in aid of the brilliant cause that that foundation works so hard for. That's coming up in a bit. We're pleased to announce that this episode of the FYP podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised Palace fixture throughout the rest of this season. And with more than 900 sport pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter where you're based, you can catch every single minute of the action. If you download the Green King Sport app, you won't just get 10% off all drinks anytime there's a match on the TV. But this month, there's also thousands of pints, free Guinness to be won, and the chance to win one of six holidays. Thank you also to our patrons. Your support is much appreciated. If you'd like to join the patrons for perks, for perks such as the post-match pod and access to the Discord group, please visit patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Okay, let's get into it. And by it, I mean Oliver Glasner beginning his reign as Palace boss just the way he and all of us wanted him to. Three goals, three points. At point, a very nervy afternoon in SC25. Palace very much deserved winners against a desperately poor Burnley side. Dom, we'll get into the specifics, but what were your general observations on Saturday, on and off the pitch? Uh, it was a refreshing change. The urgency was great, even when Burnley had 11 players uh, on, the, on the pitch. Um, I don't think... Hmm, well, is it too negative to start this? I... I I I don't know how long it would have taken us to to break them down had they had retained eleven players on the pitch. I do think that some of the problems that that uh, have really hurt Palace all season were probably still in evidence. I mean, there were there were a flurry of early chances that didn't actually yield a a, a yield a yield a, a a lead, but all in all, it was absolutely crucial that Palace won that game. And by the end of it, they'd won it so comfortably that it actually had, didn't feel much of a challenge at all. So maybe that, that means you forget some of the, not the toiling, but the, but the, the sort of the bluntness of those, the initial flurry of attacks. It was, it was a massive relief. There were a lot of impressive performances, but it all comes with the caveat. As you say, Burnley were possibly the worst Premier League team I've ever seen come to Sellers Park. They were absolutely dismal. Um, a massive, massive disappointment for a, a team that got over 100 points last season in the Championship and then spent £100 million in the summer. A just remarkable level of incompetence from that from that side. Um, but a great start for Glasner. Uh, a, a very welcome three points. And we can see some some light at the end of a pretty dark tunnel. Yeah, lovely stuff. I, th- I think um, Joe and I talked after the Sheffield United game and we talked about whether they might rank as perhaps one of the worst Premier League teams of certainly the last decade. I mean, even if you use Derby County as the, the baseline, I don't think anyone's ever going to touch them. But but Joe, in terms of Premier League afternoons, and we'll get on to the good of Palace because we have to, because there was so much good to talk about. 
Yeah. But just to get your thoughts really on, on Burnley, and then we can maybe put that caveat to bed early on in this episode, but your your general thoughts on, on Burnley, but then also your general observations about Saturday, given that we've talked so often this season about the on and off the pitch and, and just going as a fan and, 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 and your view of how your Saturday went. Yes, so Burnley, I, you'd think that was a game that they earmarked. We're, you know, even with the new manager bounce, quote-unquote, we were a team that could be got at, a team that still has its problems that led to the, the change of management. And they were not... Their biggest threats came from a couple of set pieces, some wicked crosses. Uh, there was one sort of... One, one corner, I remember, that sort of bobbled about in the six-yard box and was eventually cleared. And I thought, oh, here we go. Like any, There might be a few more of those across the game. And that just didn't materialise. And by the time they had their goal that was chalked off, the game was very much done. And it was good work by the fullback that they brought on at 2-0, I think. I think you could see the penalty almost immediately. So, you know, Bettina. as as, he, as as give and take for his, his performance, it was still, it was still in, a, in a negative, if you like. I... Yeah, as a result, I don't think it took too much for us to, having broken the deadlock, to then just see see the game out. Um, the, the 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 circumstances that lead to the red card, all of that is very helpful for the game. You know, it's good to have a solid result as we did, and a fairly decent performance, a convincing performance. Without, as, as Dom says, you know, could could have been there all day trying to get the opening goal without that red card but that's what just what we needed it was just the tonic for everybody i think the that trafford mistake that just puts us right in and just allows everyone to have a a, a sigh of relief i thought there was uh matt woosnam caught it uh in his athletic piece which is very good about some of the the week that the club have had and he mentioned that the chris richards goal one of the first things it was evident in the Glasner Cam is turning to Paddy McCarthy and saying, back post, back post, I told you. And if you actually look back on most of the game, all our big opportunities were almost sort of getting it far and over. They're very tall centre-backs. Estevay in particular, who, mm-hmm. if you played to his strengths, you were probably never going to beat him. But you had the wide... Mateta running him ragged physically, and then the crosses would just circumnavigate him and then it would be Edward at the far post for a lot of the first half trying to make something of it. And we got a couple of half chances from that. Connected well with a volley, didn't he, Edward? That I, I can't remember if that came after the red card or not, but that's the type of chance you're talking about, I guess, in that yeah, we, we front load the box and we play it deep. And we'll come on to Daniel Munoz, who obviously was such a an impact yeah. down that right-hand side. Yeah, um, yeah. We, Mitchell, we're... Mitchell hitting the post in the first half from a similar sort of uh, opening. Um, Mitchell, who, I mean... We saw hints of this in the Everton game, but the Mitchell and, and Munoz just so high up the pitch. It, it, it's Mitchell isn't the most confident in those areas in terms of uh, goal scoring or, or creativity necessarily. The heat is involved. Yeah, heat maps it, are quite something. We are we are way higher up the pitch in in, in that regard. And certainly Mitchell, um, he is involved in the second goal. I think he puts Franca through in, in that in that break. Um, I think that if we're thinking about the kind of biggest change and we're looking for things that have changed, I think it's that hour 65 minute mark having gone in front the decision to, okay, let's catch them on the break with a Franca and a Hamada 
freshening things up. That may be out of more necessity rather than design because Schlupp and Hughes, more senior players, weren't in the... I mean, it was a very young bench on the weekend, and I think that's just because of what was available. Um, I think Jaro Riedewald even, who I think some people tongue-in-cheek have said, it's his time again. He, I think he's out with a hamstring injury, so even he wasn't on the bench. But In fairness, Joe, that, 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 the substitutions came at nil-nil. Nil nil, so forgive me. So yeah, which is which is actually one of the most eye catching things about was, the whole and, performance. And Dom, yeah. I wanted to ask you about it because I think Ahamada has the shot that leads to the corner, which leads yeah, to right, the, yeah. the second phase right. of play. Yeah. And Ahamada, Joe, and I, and, and everyone that's joined us this year, often talked about Ahamada. This kind of unknown, he comes on, plays fifteen twenty minutes on the right wing. We all know that he didn't play there for Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. It and now we actually finally saw him in a lot of the the training videos that came out last week saw Ahamada stood very close to Oliver Glasner. And I think there's, whether it's right or wrong, fans can kind of make assumptions upon anything they see, really. There's this idea that Oliver Glasner might be very good for Nehru Ahamada. And, and and we'll see. It was it was a positive impact what he had. Obviously, the more telling impact was from Matthias Franzer. But, uh, Dom, I just wanted to ask you about the subs. We'll, we'll talk particular players in 3-2-1, of course. But some praise did go Glasner's way regarding the timing and choice of his subs around that 65 minutes that Joe talks about, but still at nil-nil, we were crying out for something different. And, and in your opening answer, you did kind of talk about that, the toil, particularly at that point of the game where we've been against 10 men for, for 30 minutes, either side of half time. But we needed something different then, and the, and the manager made the right call. Yeah, he did. I mean, I, I, the, the, the something different was Franca coming on for Edouard. I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think Adam Wharton would have come off had he not been on a booking and already risked a, a red card with a mm-hmm. that sliding challenge. Uh, I, I think that was the reason he came off, so that's why Ahamada got his chance. But but France are just offering something different. I mean, I suppose there might have been an argument, you know, at that point we were so dominant in possession and Burnley was so anemic with what everything they were doing so so ineffective given they had 10 they were just retreating I suppose he might have considered taking off a Joel Ward and, and bringing on Franza to supplement the front line and keep Edouard on the pitch but he, he didn't he stuck with the formation that he'd been working on in the few days he'd had at the club um, and I, that in itself is actually a, a bit of a statement I guess uh, we'll know this is what we're going to use at the moment. We're going to stick with this formation. We're going to see this one through. And he trusted Franca to make some kind of impact running at people. And and in fair to him, he he, he did. He, he he genuinely did. He, he At that point, when Burnley had been toiling for a while with 10, having a player that's eager to make an impact coming on and wants to run with the ball... It hurt them. It hurt them. It, it, it stretched them. And 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 fair play. I mean, I think add add a bit of Ahamada's energy in midfield. I thought he did okay. I don't don't, I don't think it was revelation. I thought Water yeah. was excellent before that, and, and we again. did mm. lose a bit of the sort of control of possession, maybe with Ahamada on the pitch. But that's not actually a criticism because at the time it just needed an injection of energy. France provided that Ahamada did to a certain extent, and that prized Burnley. Apart and once the first goal in, it was such a full gun conclusion. I mean, it was great. The second came so quickly with the lovely, a lovely little match up between Mitchell and, and Franza to to put the cross in um, for for Ayu. But it just it's funny when the third when there was that big pause waiting for 
the sort of award of the penalty to be conf- confirmed for the third goal. It's, I think it's probably the only time since Palace have been promoted where we've won a penalty when I was just c- completely relaxed because it really didn't make any difference whether yeah. that penalty went in or not. The game was dead. The game was done. Burnley were, were, were finished. And I, I know they... They had their their goal at three at three nil, which was then chalked off by VAR. But they they had offered nothing, absolutely nothing, and just looked thoroughly well beaten at that point. Which which is brilliant. I mean, that's what that's what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see Palace putting these teams to the sword, and that's what they did. And it was, as I say, very very refreshing to and and just got the tone right, the energy. Seeing the energy from the bench as well, seeing the celebrations, it's just it's just nice to see, isn't it? We've got a new manager at the helm. We're all sort of sizing each other up here a bit. And I think we've been very, very impressed with with what we saw from him and from, from his team. And I imagine, you know, the sight of the Homesdale bouncing along for 10 minutes after the final whistle in celebration was probably impressed him as well and probably reminded him a bit of what it was like in the Bundesliga at Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, Dom... You've just said something that really resonated there for me in terms of we we should have beaten that Burnley team in that scenario 3-0. That that should have happened. But the pleasing bit is we did. And I guess given the context of where we've been the last six to eight weeks and, you know, in terms of the league table alone, it's an important result. Even more so after yesterday's announcement of Everton's point deduction being reduced to six points from 10, albeit we know that there's more to come in, in, in terms of that side of thing. But, Joe, in terms of that performance, and, and Dom has just talked about you know France as an example how encouraged were you by any slight or overt differences that you saw on Saturday com- compared to what we've seen seen previously we, we talked last week amongst other topics that that we felt that Glasner has to get to the summer uh to kind of get to a point where he can implement what he wants to do but do you think there's a chance we might see more progress this side of that of the summer than maybe we anticipated. Do you do you think there might be some some better times ahead this side of the summer than than maybe we gave gave credit for? Or again, is it that caveat that it was Burnley who were dreadful and and actually maybe Saturday and subsequent matches might might be the better barometer? Yeah, you, you, I have this instinct to be quite cautious of over assessing or con- making too many conclusions from that game due to to what you stated. What has been interesting, it, it was mentioned after the Everton game, obviously Jesse Marsh went into this big piece on, on Monday Night Football about how this is this is how this is the RB model of of, of how the Path Palace is set up. This must be a, a Glasner-led idea. And so much so many voices coming out of the club are uh, suggesting that it was very much how Roy set us out because that was, you know, that was the only shape we were left with given the players that were available. Yet again, I think the, um, Jonathan Wilson's write-up of the game again goes. This is incredibly in, in coincidental. If it is, if it isn't a Glasner input, because I don't think Palace had started a game set out like that for quite some time either. Um, so if if we're already having to play in his shape, I imagine it allows him to incorporate some of the stuff uh, earlier than he, you know, than the summer certainly. And we actually, you know, as much as we think there's still areas of the pitch we could have improved upon beyond what we did in January, those that have come in have allowed us to play this slightly more effectively in the shape that we do have. What's funny, I don't want to look too far ahead, is 
you suddenly go, well, where are Michael Elise and Ed Richie going to fit into this we've shape? Had, we, we've genuinely had questions about how do they get back in the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure we'll find a way, if not changing the shape. Um, but it's, it, it, I mean, that's a, a, an endorsement of actually how well those that have had to play in the last couple of weeks have done. Um, and Saturday is a great example of that. Um, I allow myself to get carried away on Sunday watching the Carabao Cup final. And, you know, the impact of those subs that we did make, it's, they're not those coming on. And, and Fran, Mateus Francis is not going to be able to do that every time he comes onto the pitch. We've seen when he started games, it's not necessarily, you know, going to happen for him in that same... He came on to a game where, get at them, and then we score not long after, and he's able to then hit on the break. I do think, you know, I've called it a cult, <laughs> you know, the clamour for him uh, points this season. Um, it was very difficult to, despite the opposition, not think, do you know what, maybe we, you know, we've let in a lot of late goals this season because of, uh, and this is this is me going the long way around to my point about Sunday. Liverpool playing a lot of young players in that final out of necessity rather than keeping knackered senior players on the pitch. And, I feel like this season, I've been kind of conditioned to accept that that's just how we have to do it. Obviously, our caliber of younger players and substitutes are not the same as, you know, 21-year-olds that Liverpool have paid £7 million for. But it's hard to think, how will some of those games that we've just faded away in gone if we were actually just a little bit more confident in some fresh legs a little bit earlier, particularly when we still had leads that we were holding? But, but Joe, you mentioned, you mentioned the bench. And he did. If he did make changes, it was to the bench rather than the starting eleven. Caden Rodney, Franco Uma didn't make appearances, but they're on the bench for maybe. I mean, in Uma's case, I think he might have been on the bench for the Everton game, but that's the second time. Caden yes. um, Rodney, maybe a few appearances here and there throughout the season. I don't know this season. I know that Vieira. Last year, Vieira liked him. Yeah, and so, then uh, Luke Plange was on the bench. Well, that, I was literally about to to mention Luke Plange because there's a man who I think many Palace fans have forgotten. We had some Palace fans will presume he's still out on loan, but that got ended. Dom, you talked to Rafa Honigstein again, another plug for that excellent episode. But with Glasner, is there an anticipation that he will and has probably committed to buying into the, the production and, and implementation of youth into the first team? Well, he said the right things. He said he's going to go and make an effort to watch the, as many under 18s and under 21s games as he possibly can. But I'd expect him to do that. I'd expect a, a manager coming over here, um, signing a contract at Crystal Palace, who aren't going to have bucket loads of money to spend to to be all over what is coming through the academy and the effectively the reserves. I, I, again, I part of me is 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 wary of all this because do we really think any of those kids would have been on the bench had Will Hughes been fit, had Jeff Schlupp been fit, had Jairo Riedervelt been fit? No, of course they wouldn't. They wouldn't have been on that bench. It would have been it would have been the first-team players because, you know, again, we're in a scenario where Palace had to win that game. They had to win it. They had to get kick-start this era. And, OK, we, we all want this scenario where youth team players are coming up and going straight into our first team and making an immediate impact. And... A lot of clubs will feel like that, particularly after what happened at Wembley on Sunday. But the reality of the situation is, if you if a manager, a new manager is coming in and he's got a choice of lots of old, older, experienced heads who have been there and done it, or a lot of young kids who are green, be- are wet behind the ear, 
who's he going to choose? He's going to go with the experience. I mean, I don't think Glasner has any difference to that. I, I really hope that when Palace have a squad that is um, both better depth of quality, that amongst the quality options on the bench, there is a sprinkling of youth. And I suspect there will be. I suspect mm-hmm. that's what will happen because this is a club that that has to go down that route. But I don't think we should get I don't think we should kid ourselves here. I mean, it's it's brilliant. We're all happy. We're all fantastically over the moon that Oliver Glasner's got off to a cracking start as Crystal Palace manager. Um, and with, that's something to be celebrated. But I don't think we should possibly... And he, in fairness, in fairness, if, if you don't believe me, believe him. He came out post-match and said, actually, this match hasn't got very much to do with me at all. You know, I've been here for three days. It's actually down to the staff that predates me and my staff at this club. That's why we're in this position to to go out there and win this game of football. Yes, he's made some decisions that have helped do that, um, and he makes it look fantastically well that it's all it's all worked out. And and this is not a criticism of him because I know how people fly off the handle and stuff like this. I just think that he will look at it and think, good solid start onto the next game. Full week of training under our belts. Let's go to Tottenham and judge things after Tottenham. And moreover, actually, let's judge things after Luton because Luton is the next critical game that Crystal Palace cannot afford to lose. Spurs, difficult. We never do anything there, do we? Let's be honest, in the the modern era. Well, Dom, Tom Dutton Dutton fully agrees with you. Not one to get carried away after a win over 10-man Burnley. If Glasner can pull off our first Premier League win away at Spurs since 97 this coming Saturday... Who is going to tell Croydon Council about the need to close Wellesley Road for the Champions League trophy parade in June 26? So everyone hears what you're saying, Dom. And I think I think you'll agree with those comments that we, we need to plan at least, you know, 26 months ahead, maybe. But, it, but let's, be, let's good... celebrate this. You're actually, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want people to suddenly say, oh, he's being a... <laughs> no, person. I think, I think let's this is celebrate the thing. a fantastic start. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there, there are caveats. And there's a lot of comments that we've had actually about looking ahead to Spurs and how difficult Spurs is going to be. And then, as you say, it's then followed up by two home games. Um, well, presumably, if... Well, actually, maybe not, because presumably Newcastle will build, beat Blackburn and therefore that game might be moved a bit. But Luton and Newcastle, in theory, on consecutive Saturdays at home, if we're able to repeat the type of performance and result on Saturday in those two games, then then we're laughing. Um, thank you, gents. That's uh, the end of, of part one. Um, so much more to cover, and we'll get into all of that in part three when we take questions. Um, but before then, it's time for us to get on our bikes. Welcome back to this week's FYP podcast. And we're joined by two special guests, uh, friend of the pod, Bobby Webb, and first timer, Emma Christmas, both from Palace for Life Foundation. Uh, guys, how are you? Thanks for joining. Very yeah, well. really good. Thank you. Good. You're always a friend of the pod. A friend of the pod. <laughs> hey, it's, it's anyway. anyway. And now Emma's a friend of the pod. You, you yeah. literally have to be. Emma could leave now, and she'd already be a friend of the pod. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, guys, you're here to talk about something very special. Um, before we get into that, Bobby, I know you're a season ticket holder. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on. We've we've just talked about Saturday with Dom and Joe, and I just thought I'd get your thoughts about. Saturday and just your general thoughts quickly on, on Glasner and the appointment. 
Yeah, no, really, really excited. I think as as most of the fan base are um, in terms of what two weeks ago wasn't on my radar at all. Obviously, we're looking quite closely at Cooper Lopetegui. I was really keen on McKenna myself, um, but then as soon as the kind of news started to break and I started to read about him and see a few clips, etc., just got really excited. And then following Saturday, even Everton, to be fair, like I know Sky were a bit. Uh, tenuous as to whether he'd had a, an input, but it quite clearly it looked like he had. Um, it's just been really positive in in that, and that's the word for me, that positive football, thinking forwards, trying to make the kind of positive decisions to win football matches. Um, and it looks like it's going to play like, play out for our squad as well with the kind of back three fits with what we've got. Really excited to see Mark Gay in that left-sided uh, centre-half role. And yeah, I know it's, it's one win, but I couldn't be more excited if I'm honest. Well, it is what the uh, the joys of a three 0 win against a ten man desperate Burnley side does to a man. So it's it's all good. Um, I thought they were, were really poor, by the way, as well. In, yeah. in the, the, I was expecting them to try and play, but still be poor. But they were really direct and looked muddled in what they were trying to do, which I thought reflected quite poorly on company and his philosophy. They've they've done really well to kind of uh, remove themselves from the spectre the Sheffield United have become this season, but they're actually on the same amount of points. Which yeah. yeah. Uh, not yeah. playing any better football. Not really. And uh, yeah, I, I think the takeaway for me for them on Saturday was naive. Uh, but hey, we did what we needed to do and three goals, three points. It's, uh, it's a much rosier place to be as a Palace fan this week than it was the last couple. Um, you guys have kindly joined us to talk about um, one of your annual events. Um, and Bobby, you've previously come on to talk about this, but this year you've taken the, the step to actually get on your bike. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so this will be our fourth uh, bike to event. Um, I've been involved in the previous two to Southampton and Villa last year, um, which have been incredible um, events, both from the kind of the, the rider pool and the camaraderie we've grown between our riders um, and also the money that's been raised across those events. But it's that camaraderie that's kind of ended up meaning that I have had to get on my bike because I've Last year, I took part in one of our training rides and was woefully behind all of the other riders that were were well into their training. And I've always said, "Look, I'll do it, but I actually have to work. There's, there's not, I, I can't do the ride because I need to make sure the logistics are working." Um, and then Emma joins earlier this year, oh, at the back end of last year, um, in the fundraising team. So I've got literally no excuses left. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be amongst the group probably towards the back, um, taking on the challenge. So, so as welcoming as you were to Emma joining the team, there was a little bit of resentment <laughs> at, uh, at inducting Emma into the team, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. So just to, just to confirm, when and, when and where is this this one, Emma? You're, you're in charge of logistics, yeah. as, as Bobby's just mentioned. So if you can give us the details as to, to, to where and when, uh, and then we'll get into the details as to how people might sign up if they want to. Yeah, definitely. So um, Friday the 10th and Saturday the 11th of May, um, so it'll be Palace fans, local cyclists. They'll be taking on 160-mile challenge to Molyneux. Um, it will be Palace's last away game of the season. Um, obviously, really exciting um, to sign up. Obviously, we're including all the food, uh, support for the cyclists. That's fundraising an actual professional cyclist. Um, staying at the hotel and obviously the away tickets included in that as well. Um, so it's £150 registration. Um, and yeah, as Bobby mentioned we're super excited for this one. Um, our fourth one, our last three, so Bournemouth, Southampton and Villa have raised more than £90,000 together. Um, so we're hoping for this one to be our biggest and best yet. I was looking at the um, uh, results of the previous because the Bournemouth one 
was that during lockdown? Did that game get? Yeah, okay. So, but Southampton in twenty two and Villa in twenty three. So one win, one defeat. So odds on draw this one just to kind of complete the set. I'm guessing to <laughs> to give us a three. But I, I, have you guys done the last day of? I know not the last day of the season, but the last away game of the season. Obviously, this needs to be an away game. Is this the first time you've done the last away? Yeah, this will, this will be our first, um, like I say, last last away game. The Bournemouth one was the, uh, like I say, the um, the lockdown game where once it came back, we won 2-0 and we're dreaming of Europe. Um, but they actually found out on the way down, literally on day one, that was when the, get, the game got cancelled. They left right. sellers on their bikes thinking the game was on, got to the hotel and it was off. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it'll be exciting. Like I say, last game of the season, away days are always a, a bit special, aren't they? A little bit of a party. Um Hopefully we'll be, well, I've seen we're only, is it nine points off, off eighth? Um, Who knows where we might be. Yeah. We'll see where we are come March, but but sign up is open now, is it, Emma? Yeah, yeah. So um, the sign-ups are actually going to close in about a month's time. Um, and you can sign up through our website or through any of our social channels. And we'll have the link there. Um, and you can also reach out to us if anyone has any questions. Obviously, it is a big challenge. Um, so we want to reassure people as much as possible. Um, and there are ways as well um, that we've sort of tailored it to reach more people. So we've got the challenge and the ultra options um the challenge will give you a bit of a boost out of london so coming out of selhurst um to about windsor and then we're going to have a boost option on day two as well so that's just to help more people basically is that a push up the road or is that yeah. four wheels is that how, how's, how does that work um it will be a minibus taking okay. them <laughs> so, there, so upon sign up there are two options for people to yeah, to yeah. so for, for I guess the the more hardened cyclists, there there is the whole route. But then for those that are maybe just getting back into cycling, or maybe this will be the inspiration for them getting into cycling, there there is the the cycle one. So the 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 two day option, day one slightly more intensive in terms of yeah. mileage for get closer to the ground at least, and then the Saturday a little bit more more relaxed because you still got a cycle. But yeah, yeah. So day one will be about 110 miles. Um, Sorry, Bobby. <laughs> but yeah, um, so 110 miles or about 90, I think, for the boost option. Um, and there'll be three stops along the way and then we'll reach the hotel. And we do like the dinner and sort of a quiz and things. And then the next day it'll be 50 miles there. And we'll set up sort of early in the morning both days. Amazing. Bobby, I was going to ask which one you're doing, but Emma's kind of dropped you in and in on that one. So you're, do- you're doing the, uh, the non-boost option. No, 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 no. I'm doing, oh. I will be doing, yeah, partly, and again, partly this is, I do have work to do in the morning, okay. logistically. Okay. Also, <laughs> <laughs> I am not in the hardened cyclist. I've, I've always cycled a bit, um, but for example, I'm having to borrow a, a road bike because my hybrid's just not going to get me there, etc. So, it'll, yeah, it'll be about 82, 85 miles on day one for me, and then I'll see how I feel the next day. There'll be, it'll either be the full 50 or 25 miles um, we'll be stopping just after Edgebaston on day two and then heading in, into the centre of Birmingham and out north to, to Molyneux. Wonderful. And um, there is news of it, this pod is it's going to drop either Tuesday night or firstly Wednesday. Uh, and Bobby, you um, you whispered to me before we recorded that there might be something dropping in the not-too-distant future. 
Yes, yeah. Well, tomorrow, Wednesday, as we record, will be when we reveal the the cycling jersey. So it's always an exciting moment, particularly for the riders, getting to see what they'll be be riding the full journey in. Um, We think, uh, Emma and I and the whole team think this is our our most stylish and and classiest one yet. Uh, We always try to keep a nod to either current or past Palace kits. For example, the Southampton one was bright yellow with the... um, the stripe down the left chest like the away kit was that year mm. uh last year because we rode to villa um we styled it on the 1990 fa cup semi-final yeah, back to the red and blue so yeah. that was good uh, we tried as hard as we could to replicate the Vir- fly virgin font but couldn't find it anywhere but that was lovely so yeah there'll be a little nod in there um so yeah people keep an eye on our socials tomorrow and that'll be that'll be plastered all over it brilliant um, we'll, we'll certainly share that and we will share the link Emma mentioned the, the link a bit earlier and we'll make sure that's all included in the show notes and and we'll uh, yeah share as many links as we can between now and the big day but is there a sign off kind of deadline Emma just so you're aware of numbers is there a, is there a line in the sand that people need to, to sign up by uh, yeah so it will be the end of next month okay. that's when we'll sort of close it off end of March so if anyone's kind of thinking whether they will do it or not they've got a few weeks to kind of maybe do a test ride I guess maybe not the full hundreds. <laughs> Uh, 150 mile odd but yeah okay yeah, and we and we do um organize sort of training rides and things like that so the oh, group get to know each other and yeah so if people did just want to sort of come along to that and find out more um definitely reach out to us because we will be more than happy to invite you along to that it's brilliant and, and bobby said earlier on in terms of that camaraderie that's been built over the last few years are you expecting some familiar faces as well that that kind of made this part of their their cycling calendar for the year as well yeah, so as we as we record now, we've got 26 signed up heading towards our target of 40. So we had 37 last year. We're looking to break that again this year, um, as we've done with all our events year on year. But out of that 26, 21 have signed up to a previous bike to event and uh, were desperate to come back. We I think we had 16 on the day that we launched it signed up straight away because they, the, like I said, the camaraderie that we built, the night at the hotel, beers together, a bit, bit of food is is brilliant. Um, and the and, and the then, lure of Wolverhampton, of course. That's oh just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that's the main reason people are doing it. Um, <laughs> but no, but, and kind of jokes aside, obviously following Palace, as we all know, is up and down. So the game's the bonus there, really. Yeah. Whereas, like I say, have it at that kind of getting everyone through it, particularly at like the third stop, for example, when some people are flagging, everyone's kind of dragging people through. It is really like I like say for myself having kind of driven it and worked alongside those right the guys riding it it is actually quite inspirational watching it i'm really looking forward to being a part of that as a rider this year excellent well bobby we'll wish you the personal best on it but uh, everyone that is already signed up best of luck anyone that's thinking about it as uh, as bobby and emma have said if you have any questions then please do reach out to the guys but all information is available online and we'll share that link um before and guys just remind listeners you know the the money that will be raised. It, it, where does it go? What 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 type of causes does it go to? The reason we're doing it is to raise money for young South Londoners. Um, we work in our four local boroughs, um, and those three main areas that we work in are really relevant to those South London boroughs. So keeping more young people away from knife crime, violence, and antisocial behaviour, and um, giving more young people career and job opportunities, and obviously the community engagement, the free sports sessions, and as I mentioned before, we've already raised £90,000 through the Bike 2. Um, and yeah, it's an amazing opportunity to get involved and support your local community. Yeah, following, following on from what Emma kind of said there, um, 
we we asked for an individual fundraising target of 500 pound per rider most riders over the years have absolutely smashed through that um for example fyp patron mark silverstein as, as i'm sure you know jack has, has done crazy work on that side of it but just a couple of quick stats for example within that 500 pound 50 pounds could allow us to ride a young person with clothes so they could job and uh, attend a job interview for example or 100 pound could fund a level one sports qualification and uh, help one of our young people towards their coaching dream for example uh, and then above, above the 500 pound if you could raise let's say 750 quid that would be able to purchase a new electric wheelchair for a young person to join our power chair team all, all little things like that that are making real changes to real people in our community it's amazing what you guys do and um to be honest talking about the camaraderie and the good day or the good days that this sounds like i kind of lost sight of the reason why you're doing this in the first place and, and yeah. to hear you both um yeah I'll highlight some of the the, the benefits of the work that that can be done upon fan fundraising and, and the work you guys generally do is, is obviously core to why it's happening. So um, yeah, any help that, that we can offer in promoting it ahead of then, then, then do let us know. And I wonder if any FYP listener that is thinking one way or the other, uh, maybe, maybe you guys coming on has just maybe tip them over the edge. Yeah, yeah, that'd be the amazing. right way. The, yeah. the right yeah. way, hopefully, not, not the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, they just turned off. They just in, a good, in a good way. <laughs> but um, like for, and, and kind of following on from that, once the sign-ups do close nearer the time, I'm sure chatting to yourself and and Jim, for example, we'll be able to share our the the kind of main campaign page that if people Absolutely. aren't taking part, if they could donate as as much or as little as they can towards the campaign, that would be incredible too. Incredible work, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. And um, yeah, maybe we'll be in touch just uh, just before it. And and who knows, um, might be cycling towards a, a crucial game at the right end of the table, maybe. Who knows? Fingers crossed. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back to this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Thanks again to Bobby and Emma for coming on and talking to us all about the cycle to walls. Again, the details regarding that will be included in the show notes and will be uh, sure to, to post lots of uh, supported messages uh, about that between now and then uh, to make sure that gets as much love as it should do. Okay, it's time for your questions. Thanks to everyone who chucked their questions our way this week. Firstly, let's talk about the impact of the new manager, and we touched on him in the first part, of course. Um, but Glasner was very open uh, last week in interviews, both with the club, but also uh, with the wider media, talking about his first engagement with the club. He talked about attending, I think, the Everton game, which was the 11th of November, um, and alluded to maybe some conversations happening. Also suggested there could have been an agreement in place maybe for the summer. Dom... What were your thoughts on those comments? And is there any light that can be shared on those comments, the overall process? Your your general thoughts about, about Glasner and the and the appointment of um <laughs> Well look, okay, the Palace appointed Roy Hodgson on a one year contract. Any club worth its salt would start you know, working out what is going to happen at the end of that one-year contract pretty soon after it's been signed. Pretty soon, and we're probably talking the autumn as as being a bit a bit late in many ways. You want to you want to know where your club's going and what 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 the long-term planning um, is going to be. 
So it doesn't surprise me that there was contact, given that he was available, having left Eintracht Frankfurt, um, and he had a great CV, and he has this desire to work in England. As far as I know, his priority was to come in the summer when he would have a pre-season to work with the team, which is completely logical and what you'd expect. And, and obviously Palace had appointed Roy Hodgson for that year, probably thinking along the same lines, that whoever comes in to take this forward dramatically is going to to want that time to to get their philosophy across, to to work out what players fit into the system and which players he could change in a, in a transfer window. Oliver Glasner has never taken over a team mid-season before, particularly a team in a foreign country that he's never worked in before. So I think it would have taken a, quite a bit of persuasion um, for him to, to come in now. And to that end, and again, this, this is probably a bit too retrospective for this podcast. It has been touched on in others. I think there was a period when things looked as if they were unravelling a bit under Roy and and the the team was being dragged in towards a a relegation scrap. Palace looked at various different options and those included other managers, some in employment, some not in employment. We've mentioned them before, I think, on on other things. Kieran McKenna at Ipswich doing a brilliant job, took them out of League One, has taken them into a promotion challenge in the Championship. Remarkable performance from him. Julian Lopetegui, who who did a wonderful job at Wolves last season, taking over a club that was bottom of the league and taking them easily to safety and then leaving in the summer because he didn't feel as if he could take that club on with the budget that he was having to work with. These are people that you'd expect Crystal Palace to look at. and, And they've ended up with Oliver Glasner and persuading him that he should come now. And that... You know, we, we've talked about risk, and there's risk on all parts in every appointment you ever make in a football club. But the, the risk here is twofold. It, the risk is Crystal Palace not knowing how he would adapt, and him not knowing how, you know, how how much he could actually implement in at this stage of the season with these this number of games left, with no transfer window to work with, and, and moreover, without his best four players, the best the best four players at the club being fit. There's there's there's, there's obviously an element of risk involved in that. He's taken the plunge. Thankfully, it's got off to an amazing start. But let's that's why Burnley was significant. That's why that win was so important. Because it's just calmed everything down. And it's allowed, in many ways, this narrative to come out that actually, oh yeah, this was all part of a plan, that he was always going to come in. I don't believe it was. I mean, look, I don't I just don't believe it was, but it doesn't really matter because this is what we've ended up with. And actually, as we speak here now, things look as if they, this could be the right fit. You know, very early days, less than a week on from his appointment. It looks like a good fit. Let's see where we are in a few weeks' time. The, the critical thing was always going to be get through these next 13 matches um, under his under his um, tenure. Um, do as much, make as much, instigate as much progress as you possibly can in that time, but, but in the knowledge that there's going to be change in the summer. And that's when we're going to see a Glasner team emerge from the transfer window and from the summer and pre-season. It's, it's really a matter of just getting to that point. And, you know, if it all goes well and Palace have a similar run into to that enjoyed last season, then he'll 
you know, he'll be propelled into that summer period with all this belief, this confidence that we're taking this club forward. We'll all we'll all buy into it because we all want that to work. We all want this to to work, and and that that will provide its own momentum going into next season. And and you know, I think that's all we need to talk about at the moment in terms of that because actually, I think at the moment we've got that momentum. We've had that brilliant start, but you know, let's see where we are after Spurs. Let's see where we are after Luton, and and critically, most critically of all, let's see where we are in the summer when big decisions have to be made. Yeah, the summer is um, it's tantalising, though, isn't it? Because of, of what he he might be able to do with that prison. As you say, Dobby, he's, he's never gone into a, a job mid-season before. When he when he left last to go to Wolfsburg, it was, it was pre-season. He, he transitioned between Wolfsburg and, and Frankfurt between the two, uh, between seasons as well. So it's a new thing to him. Um, it, it's different. Um, I, I was having this conversation, and Joe, I'll bring you in this one, in terms of, the four key players that, that Dom alludes to there, well, doesn't allude to, he, he referenced it specifically. He is dealing without those. I, I wonder whether if we'd had those four players fitted together, and we have to note that those four players have played 48 minutes of the season together, given that Elise returned at Luton and Chet Decore or Eberich Eze went down after, he went off after 48, Chet Decore went off after a few minutes later. If those four players were, were, were fit now, it's possible that there wouldn't have been a vacancy to take on and those four players are fit we see the rest of the season through and, and the transition happens in the summer. But what did you take from Glasner and his first week up to the game? What, what were your in, in kind of the good and the bad in, in terms of what he said? Anything you liked, anything you didn't like? Well, there was a word, there was something Dom said in there. He was talking about the buy-in. And I think, yeah, a lot, big chunk of the fan base that were, uh, were pretty easy to, buy. you know, it didn't take much for them to buy in. But I think he, did some simple things, said the right things. Some of them were empty platitudes, really. But uh, if you were to unpack them, they're just saying the right things in press conferences. But I think, not necessarily myself, but I could see by how people were responding. One of the criticisms of the previous management has been slight, short answers, um, frustrated, impatient, grouchy uh, press conferences and or maybe clumsy answers that, accidentally drop players in it if taken out of context, etc. I think a lot of what Glasner was saying was stuff that people wanted to hear. It was very positive. As Dom says, I'm going to go see the youth players. Yeah, you probably should in the circumstances because <laughs> we're job. really short. Yeah. <laughs> um, set pieces, yeah. My guys, I've got my guys coming in. They they they, they work on set pieces too. This, yeah, great. Um, things like that, but seem like a, a nice guy throughout all of that. There, there's a great the video of Chris Grierson taking him around the ground comes across as very enjoyable and just like quite good company. And uh, that makes it very easy to, for people to get on side. You throw a good opening day perform, opening game performance or certainly result into that. And, you know, he's already bought himself a tiny window of patience there. And, and you know, if we'd have, if we'd have really messed up that, that fixture, people might've been rolling their eyes and going, maybe they wouldn't have channeled it towards him this early. It might've just been louder noise towards the board if possibly, but I think he's, he's got himself a bit of space to, to just, to just, I think he's the, the wins won't, uh, in terms of winning the fan base, I, I don't think he has to do very much. And I don't think he'll have to, um, again, next, this coming game, the, the expectations are so low. You mentioned not winning. I don't think we've scored there in the league. Benteke. Yeah. Oh my God, I mean, oh, lockdown. There you go. So nobody, n- none of us were there to see it. 
Is that that was lockdown, right? I've imagined. I think that's the one. Yes. Yeah, 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 when Harry Kane put that the uh, golf shot into the top corner. Was it four one? I think that one. Oh, yes. That was one of the games yeah. during lockdown that I think I might have turned off with about twenty to go. To be honest. Is it, is it a Wolf Red in that? Or is that no, that was after. Anyway, yeah, we're getting lost. That's Tottenham coming later. But I feel like he's almost got a, not a free hit, but that's the pressure on him to get something from that is... Saturday, well, it's, yeah. It's, that uh, takes the pressure off it, doesn't it? That That is the silver bullet we needed. And as Don said, that now gives him the transition between that game that he's he's overcome, he's he's overseen it, and now we have Luton a big on Luton. the night. With, um, with reportedly one of those key players missing possibly in the squad for this weekend, which implies that by the time we get to the Luton game, maybe a little bit more ready for a significant contribution to the team, which is great timing for Glasner, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, go on, Dom. You, you want to come in? Well, well yeah, it's just, I, I agree with everything Joe said there. I think he's, I think he's PR-wise, he's been brilliant so far. He's absolutely given everybody what they want. To the extent that, you know, as a media man, turning up as a newspaper guy, turning up at that first press conference and him taking the effort to go and introduce himself to everybody. I know that's a, a little thing, but actually it's it's a it's quite it has quite a big impact. Um certainly on the guys present and, the, and those well not all of them, because some some people sort of swanned in for that one because it was a it was a big press conference. But for the guys that are gonna cover Crystal Palace every every week that's that's quite a nice way to start it breaks the ice it gets it gets you going he's got to have a relationship with these guys really he's got to they've got to be able to feel as if they can ask him things and he he will give them an honest answer and i think that was a he did everything brilliantly in that but we shouldn't kid ourselves here he's not he has got this spiky reputation. Yeah. The reasons he left Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt were over, you know, he fell out with the hierarchy of those clubs because he what his ambitions weren't being met at those clubs. Right. So and, and I don't I don't actually think that's a bad thing for Crystal Palace. It's almost it's a polar opposite from from Roy Hodgson because Roy Hodgson was a safe appointment in every level. You know, he would keep you in the division. I know you know, the, the events of the last three months have probably cast a bit of doubt on that. But the reality was, that's what he has done every time he's been at Palace. He doesn't really kick up a fuss with the hierarchy. He doesn't pester them. He, he toes the party line. He's a he's a, a safe appointment. Someone that you, you, you know that he he will do a good job. And with whatever you, resources you give him, uh, he will make the best of them. Now, I don't think Oliver Glasner will put up with that. And actually, shaking things up a bit around, uh, it's not a bad thing. I think that will actually do Crystal Palace some good. It'll it'll pose questions to the board um, and to the recruitment department and to the medical department and to, you know, the, the training regime around the place. But that's, again, feeling slightly uncomfortable there is probably what Palace need, having... Because I do think that some of this sort of complacency that, that feels as if it's crept in a bit is because we've felt so comfortable going into this season in the Premier League. Oh, it'd be fine. You know, clubs are going to get PSL points docked off them. Uh, Luton and Sheffield United and Burnley are hopeless. They're going to go straight back down. We're going to be absolutely fine. Well, you could, you could, you know, play with your eyes shut. We'll finish mid-table. Well, actually, that isn't the case. Although some of those things are true, but not all of them. And it has been a bit more uncomfortable than ever we thought. So having somebody coming in who might just shake things up a bit and make, be a bit spiky behind the scenes, demand things, demand quality, demand 
you know, that everybody ups their levels and keeps everybody on their toes from the, you know, from the from the training ground staff to the proper, you know, the boardroom. I think that's actually a good thing for Crystal Palace. Yeah, agreed. I, I just want to add a, a question here because appreciate it's the questions part. I've not actually asked a question yet from a listener, but just in terms of like qualifying that um, that conversation there, Alan Dunn, evening Alan, he asks if the club and Glasner have been in dialogue for several months, which nobody's disputing there may have been dialogue, is it likely that he had an input on the signing of Munoz? And I guess you could throw Wharton into that conversation too. Joe, I'll come to you in a moment, but Don, just quickly on that, do you think with the managers they might have been talking about, particularly with those like Glasner that may have been considered a more likely summer appointment, would he have been a part of the conversation regarding certain players? Is that how things work? Can I tempt you, sir? You know, that type of, you know, does Daniel Munoz suit suit your style? Do you like the look of Adam Wharton in this three-minute clip that we're about to send you? Like, would, would that have been a conversation? No. I, I just don't think so. I mean, look, it's Palace have needed a right back since they sold Aaron Wan Bissaka, um, and they've they've sort of since Joe was in short trousers. Actually, yeah. <laughs> they papered over the cracks on that front, and Munoz offers something that they didn't have in the squad. So bringing him in, yes, it might give you the option to play three at the back potentially, but it's it's not what he where he started playing. He started in a four. Mm. Um, Adam Wharton is a is an archetypical Dougie Friedman signing, somebody that he's spotted, he's tracked for ages, looked at, been really impressed by, thought other clubs are coming in for him in the summer, we need to get this done now, and has persuaded the board to, to fork out the cash, got a really good deal with Blackburn, got the player, fantastic signing, brilliant, brilliant signing for the club to take it f- forward, you know, and, and exactly the type of signing that Crystal Palace have have uh, targeted and have done well in recent seasons. Um, but I don't think I'd be very surprised if you, if you spoke to Adam Walton and Daniel Munoz and said, Oh, incidentally was Oliver Glasner ever brought up in, in the talks. Um, you know, he's coming in, you'll fit in here. I, I'd be very surprised if other than said, yes, uh, it, it it's, Given that the other candidates that Palace were looking at in terms of the managers, and and in fact the whole way that that played out, no, no, no. Interesting, and I, and I won't ask Don to mark his own homework, but but Joe, you heard the Athletic Pod that I've I've referenced several times already with Rafa Honigstein, and, and a point that he makes within it, and and anyone who knows much about German football will know this is the case. Glasner comes from particularly his last two posts. I'm not quite sure how it works in Austria. I suspect it's not too dissimilar. But the sporting director role is far more prominent in German club framework. So, again, in terms of player choice, you're thinking that, as Dom says, Friedman is surely the one driving particular signings. And the whole point is the manager can be rotated. It's it's the sporting director who, who is still... I don't know who the sporting director would have been at Antwerp Frankfurt... As Dom says, we know that it didn't end fantastically for Glasner and insert sporting director here. But with your knowledge of, of kind of European football, are you suspecting that Glasner's come in and he's going to get on with the coaching side of things and, and we'll work with the sporting director and we'll contribute to those conversations. But ultimately, Freeman's role has probably been kind of enshrined and emboldened by this by this appointment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think the. The appetite for Glasner to get into English football, I 
I, obviously, I imagine the um, the salary that he could attain is is factors in that. But there was a moment where I thought, oh, is that maybe he has a, a traditional idea of English football as this is a place where you can manage like the old days and 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 make and to pick your players and and, and sign ins. But I don't think that we're well, certainly not a palace. But the Premier League isn't really like that anymore. I think sporting directors are. They're not more prevalent in in this country now than they than they other countries. They're catching up w- with how other countries have been doing it. Um, you'd hope, you know, the, the the recruitment team are. I still think Dolly Freeman will be delighted to have somebody like Glasner on board. I know mm-hmm. some people have tried to look the other way when that part of Glasner's story has come up in in recent uh, days and weeks and reports about his past with other directors, but. I imagine in terms of what they want for Palace, I can see why wouldn't they be on the same page? And, you know, this is somebody who is going to play, you know, we hope maybe want to play some of these talented young players, maybe not. Um, I I suppose as much as uh, Wharton is a, is a Dougie, classic Dougie signing, like at least say like an Ebbs, I'm sure there is a team there that, you know, Dougie might be leading the recommendations. um, But, you know, it's it's hard for me to. I, I'm purely speculating because you hear all these whispers of of oh, Roy didn't Roy doesn't fancy that player, and it's it's very difficult for me to buy what's true and what isn't in those. And if it was true, I glad that that then that is a positive that here's a manager that won't be doing that kind of thing. Um, but I, I think if you're Oliver Glasner, I think what would be quite interesting over between now and the summer, where the recruitment will be taking place if he's in charge still is that he gets a real idea of the players that he's got in front of him. I think he might be surprised by the quality of the best players in that team. I'm sure, I think he, he said he did say he was at Sellers to watch a game earlier this season. Everton. I can't remember which, Everton. Everton. Yeah. When, yeah. Ebbs, when Ebbs turned on the best 45 minutes, I think I've seen him play in a Palace shirt. Right, so, you know, although that's a player that may well be departing in the summer, possibly, he might his appetite to work with him and possibly convince him to stay longer a little bit, who knows, um, that might... He, I don't know. I think he he might be a little bit more. I guess, Dougie. I, I guess. Well, exactly. Your last point. Yeah. If if he's not, you know, the Ebbs thing. I guess Ebbs is the variable. He could be here. He might not be here going to next season. But he'll trust that the man who brought him to the club, Dougie Friedman, Doug Friedman, has a good eye. Has a good eye. And and that can only be a good thing. Let's move on. We'll talk so much more about Glasner. Marcus I mean, Kruscher, by the way. Marcus Kruscher. Thank you. Beautifully said. Is he still there? No idea. There's, there's your uh, homework for next week, Lister. Funny how <laughs> Marco Christian is still in his post at Eintracht Frankfurt. They sold a lot of players post that. that when they Europa won the Europa League, League, they had a couple of players who were seeing out their last year of a contract. I think Philip Kostic is maybe one. He's probably the most important. I think he went on a free transfer to, to Juventus after that. Um, and then a couple of other players who either were at the end of their contract or 18 months, or sorry, 12 to 18 months out from the end of their contract. And they won the Europa League and thought, what more am I going to do here? So I think it was the turnover of that Eintracht Frankfurt squad that he he maybe struggled with. And, and maybe maybe the club was satisfied. They've just won the Europa League. And I don't want to talk about ceilings of other clubs, but you're not going to compete with Bayern. What's the next well, they, yeah. they did very well the following season. They got into the knockouts of the Champions League. But maybe the hierarchy in that club, from a sustainability perspective, just thought... Oliver, we we can't really meet what you what you were asking for. I don't know that I don't know the ins and outs of it. And I don't and maybe... think Oliver Glasner is going to be surprised at how Palace, uh, yeah. you know, approached the summer window. Though he would have he, he he's got in this, this surely had a show. That's 
That's the brief, surely he's been telling yeah, us. Yeah. I mean, he knows he knows that, that Palace aren't money bags. He knows that they're gonna have to sell to to bring in the number of bodies that are gonna be required to make this squad work for for him. So he'll you know, but I mean that's just how clubs of Palace's size operate and have to operate. And, and you know, this as as Jack's mentioned before, this is gonna be the first summer where we actually see evidence of this strategy, hopefully, if if there are suitors out there to to pay proper money for players. And this will be the first time that that has to happen. I got a bit that, that podcast prompted a, a a bit of a sort of reaction from some Palace fans saying I was I was suggesting that Palace are gonna fall foul of, of PSR by, by June where they don't sell by June the thirtieth. Not really the point I was trying to make. Um, that was more about other clubs that, that that will have to sell players by June the 30th. I don't think Palace are in that position, even after selling uh, buying players in in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if Palace are going to strengthen their squad, they have to sell players. If if Palace Palace don't have a billionaire backer that is willing or able to just chuck money in, I know they have billionaire backers. They, they have billionaires on the board, but. To comply with PSR, they need to sell. That's how it works now. And and when you don't have the commercial revenues coming into your club, that's how you have to operate. So Palace adopted the model in 2021 of buying young players to develop, to sell on at profit. What we haven't seen so far is them selling them on at profit. And this season, this summer, I suspect that is what will happen. I suspect that is the plan. Uh, And it's going to be painful in the same way that I still wake up in a cold sweat when I remember the day that Ian Wright signed for Arsenal. That is the reality of it all. We hate seeing our best players leave. But if this model, like the Brighton model, like like the Brentford model, is it Brent, does Brentford even work? It might do with Ivan Southampton Tony, years ago, I guess. Is Southampton, the yeah, that, this yeah. is how this is how it's going to operate in the PSR-dominated Premier well, League. Unfortunately. We shall see if anyone offers forty-five million pounds for Will Hughes. But anyway, that's a that's a story <laughs> for the summer. Um, just a couple of other questions I just want to get to. Pete Coombs and Joe, we we touched on this. I'll throw this one to you. Can see where Elise fits into the new system in place of Edward or even Ayu. Although Ayu, I'm going to throw so much praise at Jordan Ayu in a bit. But even if it does make him more narrow, um, oh sorry, even if it makes him more narrow, that's Elise. But not too sure where Eze fits in. Would it be ahead of Wharton? So. You you referenced there have been touch comments. Watching on Saturday, could you see the natural fit for for Michael Lisa and Eberich as a two players who will come back into that team? You know, we just talked about the quality of them, and the manager would would have been attracted to this position, you know, in part because of those two players specifically. In terms of that top part of the pitch, and without going into three two one, and we'll we'll have that conversation shortly. You see, there must be room for for players of that quality. They're they're not going to be left on the bench. And, and be bought on as impact players, um, albeit we've got a few weeks until certainly we're talking about Michael Lise given his injury. Yeah, room will be made. Let's 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 no let's make no mistake. It the question is, uh, are we getting the best version of them in that in that setup? I think Michael Elise, for all the benefits, for all the things I like about him, not someone you're often looking to to go past the player on the outside. So him being a little narrower. And, you know, somebody that played a lot of minutes to Reading in a central role has had a couple, had a few games there, more so under Vieira, towards the end when no one seemed to be playing anywhere that, in a place that they like. Oh, Elise, Elise as a 10. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so him being more central, still, he's still a threat in that. But um, Ebbs is the one where I'm, you know, previous 
appearances generally for Palace left of a front three kind of have it's rarely been the best uh application of him or use of him sorry I should say uh but it is different it is not just it's not him wide left on that it's not it's a much more narrower position which probably benefits him a, a much more and if Elise is doing the same those two have in close quarters of each other that's a nightmare for anyone that's any opponent that's having to operate in that area. I think one of the strengths which uh, Jesse Marsh did highlight and I, was still useful despite the questions of who actually motivated this this plan. Um, in Palace players quite close to each other in this setup, especially higher up the pitch, and some of this one-touch passing or there's always a ball for other players to get to and, and there's, there's options for each other. They're all quite... There are long diagonals. Anderson played a few to the wing-backs on the, on the weekend. But those in the midfield and the rough and tough of it were... They always had a, a, a teammate available to them nearby, which was useful when Burnley went down to 10 men and you were kind of passing them into submission a little bit until the openings came. Um, I think Ebbs and Elise together in that is still going to bring you some really interesting results. But then that implies that... So I've already... So I've jumped ahead and assumed that it would be ebbs in further up rather than instead of a Wharton or Lerma. Because I can't even... I don't even know where to begin with that dilemma. You know, Chet the Corey has to come back into that as well. well. I suspect so he, he was another one who was referenced. And I mean, for me, it just we've just gone so quickly from... And I'll throw it back to Dom on this one. From the accusations that we've got no players to all of a sudden... We've got too many players and we can't all get them in the team after beating a very crap Burnley team. But yeah. these are good these are good problems, Dom. No, that when these players come back, if if we are able to to maintain a, a degree of form without them, that when they do come back, it's it's all good, isn't it? It, it can't be a problem. No, no, of course not. No, I mean, but are we realistically, we're going to see the, the career this season. Probably not. No, no. probably That's not for next season. Yeah. At least say probably not until April. Um, as a, I mean, let's all hope that he's in the in the squad very soon, possibly at Spurs. Um, but the reality is, let's also remember how long it took him to get it up to speed after the 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 injury he sustained at, at Luton. Um, so actually, having him as an option to come off the bench for the first for you know for a period of time might actually be beneficial to him um and to and to the team particularly if everybody else is playing with some confidence uh, but i mean the, the worry is that i'm not sure you could play him as in the Wharton role really because i think i think Lerm is a bit of a sort of loose cannons are probably a bit un, unfair but he, he he sort of he's so rampaging he goes everywhere um, he, you know, he's, he's just as likely to crop up in the opposition penalty area as he, as he is his own. And alongside that that presence, you probably need, do need someone who wants to just sit and and mop up. And I think you know, Walton does that very effectively because he's such a good passer of the ball. He can distribute from a, a, a deeper lying role. Well, actually, it doesn't. A deeper line makes it sound as if he's camped in his own half. He's not. He can he can do that from inside the opposition half as well. But I don't think that's what Ezra will want to do. He'll he'll want to get involved. He'll want to be one of the guys in the box. So actually, when I don't think we should worry about how he's going to incorporate Ezra and Elise because we're still a while off that scenario. And let's be realistic, as Joe says, as soon as it 
they are both available. They're both getting the team because they're so head and shoulders above everybody else um, in attacking ranks. Um, but I suspect that it would be, I mean, you could probably put Ezra in possibly in the Edward role at the moment. He mm-hmm. could play off the left, although he, he probably would sit slightly deeper as a 10 and, and then, and then push up from deep, um, which is not what Edouard wants to do. He he he'd rather be up there, almost alongside Mateta, as in a in a pair, almost uh, in or in that in that very very narrow and advanced front three. So, yeah, it's 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 brilliant that we're talking about this. It's brilliant that Glasner's got all these different options at some point. Well, we'll have these different options at some point in the future. And it's brilliant that opponents are going to be sitting there thinking, "Cool, what happens if this happens, or what happens mm-hmm. if he plays, or that?" And that's 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 fantastic. It's it's not it's not a privilege that Roy Hodgson had very often, and I suppose we should we should probably just wait and see when these guys are a fully fit and b you know who is who is fully fit at that point of the current starting eleven because you never know the way things pants are going. Edward probably fall over with a hamstring injury at that point. I think it's ironic that, that Jairo Riedewelt succumbs to a hamstring injury in the first week of the new manager's... I mean, theory me, that bloke's timing. Um, I, I but, did hear somebody refer to that as Roy's parting gift, which I thought was a touch, <laughs> a touch oh. cruel. <laughs> touch cruel. You are right, but let's not let's not kid ourselves that we suddenly got this amazing squad that's got full yeah. of depth because we don't. We just simply don't, and it, it will only take a couple of injuries now while these other guys aren't up to scratch uh, for it to look very very ropey again, and 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 not many options at all. And then you really are turning to those kids on the bench. But yeah, now's not the time to worry about that. Let's just let's just bask a bit longer in the fact that we have got a few options coming back. Absolutely. Um, Listeners, thank you so much for your questions. Appreciate we didn't get through many there, but do keep turning them through. There are a few more questions slash comments that we'll uh, we'll include in a later part. Um, lots of comments uh, or lots of questions posed as praise for particular players, some of whom I suspect might come up in the next part as we do three, two, one. So join us after the break for this week's three, two, one. of this week's FYP pod again sponsored by our friends at Green King Sport it's time for this week 3-2-1 and we'll have plenty of candidates this week I'm sure um, Dom going to throw straight to you your your nominee for this week's 3-2-1 um, I will go for Daniel Munoz I think um, just because I don't think he's had the easiest start to his Palace career um, I think the Brighton experience must have been fairly disturbing for him so soon after signing. That's a great word. That's a debut. <laughs> Everything about it. Yeah, geez. What have I let myself in for here? Um, <laughs> um, and that's coming from somebody who used to be an ultra in Medellin. So um, <laughs> it's. Uh, then you chuck in the, the sort of Chelsea. And the disruption of of the the change in manager as well um, that followed, and but I I thought that again with the usual caveats, and I just had to look up who played on Burnley's left left flank, and Charlie Taylor, who Bless him. you know had his moments at Leeds and a few a, a while back, and you know occasionally does it for Burnley, but I think that was his first game back for a while. Yeah, and and somebody called Odebert, who played further up the flank, not a clue. Um, <laughs> he he played the whole ninety, um, but. But Munoz was a proper proper menace. And I thought 
physically he looked like a proper specimen as well. Somebody that is going to, you know, given after chance, he will be a rampaging presence down that right. He will get stuck in defensively, probably with some wild tackles thrown in along the way, but, you know, that's fine. Um, and and has got some personality. He just looks like a proper character and somebody that you just, yeah, we'll, we'll go into battle with you, pal. That's, 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 uh, I just like that. I like that sort of wildness to him as well. I thought that I thought he uh, I thought he really he looked the part and I know he was given the freedom of the right flank and it won't always be like that and it'll be a you know very different at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday. Um but it was it was just again refreshing to have this presence up and down that right flank. Joe, the 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 seeds were sown at Goodison. We we talked about it last week. At some point, promise, listener, we did talk about Everton last week at some point. Um, what were your thoughts on Daniel Munoz? I've got a lot of love from, from listeners. Uh, just chuck one at you now, Violent Bob. How great is Munoz? What a signing. Um, he has been such a game changer so far. And it is that energy up the right-hand side. You know, God love Joel Ward. God love Nathaniel Klein. But they, they can't do what he has offered already. Um, and hopefully that's a, a, a way forward for, for Daniel Munoz um, we, we see more of it but it, it it was a noticeable performance on Saturday wasn't it from from the new number 12 yeah together with early signs of really nice work between other between him and other players on that side of the pitch uh, IU and Joel Ward who in that back three seems to it, it's all set up really nicely for him to just step to the right a little bit and cover Munoz's crazy antics at the other end of the pitch there were some moments where Munoz is getting behind the Burnley back four, trying to try to come play me in, play me in. And that, that's that's gonna take some getting used to, but it is it is very enjoyable. And you can see how he scored five goals this season in the Belgian league by the time we'd signed him. I'd be it wouldn't surprise me if he scores between now and the end of the season, given oh, how sure. often yeah, he's yeah. in the forward areas, how much he's involved. I think he had a shot that was put out for a corner, but more, more, more telling me for me, Joe, I, I think he got caught offside three times in that first half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the number of offsides in that first, there were six, weren't they? Oh my God, it was driving me I mad. I think half of them were Munoz, like it, a, a right back, a Palace right back getting caught off for offside. Like that is, that is quite something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's great to have in, in that type of game where so often I think Palace's home formula over various managers has been, uh, we can catch a team on the break, a better yeah. team than us. And that's where our best work comes from. But if a team comes to sell us and goes, sits back a bit and goes, come on then. We have often been found wanting. And having that as a, having a player like Munoz and that approach in a game like that, where you can be a little bit more confident and leave, leave something behind you, or at least have them chasing after you instead. It is going to be these games against opposition around you. And I feel like that, what he brings is going to be a real asset. And uh, it's it's also about as much as the other players knowing that and using it properly. I, Joachim Anderson, I've mentioned it already, I think, find that that diagonal that we so loved last season, which we haven't seen much of in a while. We saw it again a it few times back, on Saturday. It was, yeah. It was back on the weekend. And and I think I think Munoz would be one of the biggest beneficiaries of that in the, as things are currently set up and... He yeah, wants that switch, on. doesn't he? Fun. He wants he wants that switch for play. And um, Anderson, he, I think there was one that he misplaced slightly, which is a, really got to him. But actually, he was pinging the majority of them right to feet, 
beautiful, beautiful passes. <laughs> but you, you mentioned that having a Munoz helps tick up Palace unlock teams, but but I tell you what, it'll make a massive difference on the counter attack as well. We haven't had yeah. that. We haven't had that threat like the old days when you know Balassian Zar was sprinting at people. We haven't had that pace. But actually. I mean, at Spurs this weekend, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we, if we, we you know, we're under the cosh, under the cosh, under the cosh. Oh my God, look at Munoz. He's just sprinted down the far <laughs> end of the pitch, put a cross in. And, you know, yeah. that, that is, that's going to be brilliant. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. That threat and, and one that we've not talked about, and I don't know if he will come up in the rest of this conversation, but Chris Richards' goal, who's the man who makes the distracting jump in front of him to, to leave the space for Chris Richards? It's Daniel Munoz again. He, he cannot help himself. He's absolutely everywhere on Saturday. So, yeah, a lot of love for Daniel Munoz. And, um, yeah, I think he's had a few shouts on 3-2-1 already. So he's already building himself a nice little nice little tally. But, yeah, very uh, very welcome addition, Daniel Munoz. Uh, Joe, your nominee this week. This is tough. I, I, I think I've got three or four in my head that, could, that are all worthy of, of a shout. But I, I suppose let's go Chris Richards. I... Okay. Of course, of course you did. Your new best yeah, mate. My new All best you want mate. to do is talk about him. Yeah. But I preface that with I've been I've been very loud with my criticism of his shortcomings on this podcast. And therefore, when the opposite is demonstrated, I should be equally as loud. So here I am. I even tweet I tweeted at halftime before his goal had gone in that I was really impressed with the assurance in his passing. He was doing riskier passes into midfield than I'd seen him ever be comfortable doing prior to that. He seemed a lot more at home left of that front three rather than maybe the central point of it. Um, yeah, it was just making passes and, and and working with Tyrick Mitchell a lot better than he had been in, in the midfield role where perhaps that stuff would be asked even more of him. Um, I don't know how much that you could put down to management or just simply the positioning of where he was and who he had alongside him. But he, there were a couple of diagonals from him over to, to Munoz as well. Not all of them successful, but I found his performance so much more encouraging and he's clearly up for the physical fight as well, whether, however much of that Burnley offered. And then to cap that off with the gets... Has a wobble early second half, I would say. I remember there was a couple of moments defensively where we looked as, as shaky as we did probably in the entire game, but we're talking quite a low bar. Um then, then gets gets his goal and and it sort of sees the growing confidence again after that. And however long Mark Gay is going to be out, we've always said, what a third centre back to have in your squad. Some would say he's our, you know, probably in our top five, top ten best players in the squad, mm-hmm. but he's just behind two excellent centre backs. Mm-hmm. You're not. I'm not worried about him there for the foreseeable. And. I'd, I don't know what happened life after one of these centre-backs is sold, whether it is him. But that was the start of a, the sort of performances again where you're maybe maybe he is the person, he is the man rather than somebody else brought in. Great celebration. Great moment. The goal was was so needed by everyone, but he seemed to revel in the moment as well. The celebration, the photo that was captured of him as high as a, as a player can be celebrating that goal the relief on his face, the passion. It was it was a great photo that was taken of a great moment. Dom, I don't remember really talking about Chris Richards too much with you. Um, obviously, had lots of other things to talk about over the last few months. What's your general thoughts on on Chris Richards? I think before he came, there was reference to maybe his best time in Germany was part of a back three at Hoffenheim. So it's no surprise to see him doing well in a back three. But what have your thoughts been about Chris Richards since he came to Palace? I think it's been a bit unfortunate, hasn't he? Because he, he came in and... 
Anderson and, and Gay works were were established as the as the first choice pairing and didn't really get injured very often. So that opportunities were were very limited for him and I, I imagine that frustrated him part of my role here at um at the athletic has been uh we have a we have a uk-based um writer who who tracks the usmnt um players around europe and and we sort of do a weekly tracker of their progress and, and a lot of our market is out in the states uh, and and chris richards had, had featured regularly in that as a bit part player and then went into midfield and he was like oh he's finally getting his chance in midfield um but that's not really where he wants to play etc so I, I actually don't think it's exactly where he wants to play either i i I imagine that he wants to play on the right side where Joel is and that Mark Gay would would flit, fit in on the left when he's fit. But I, I think he's done he's done pretty well of late. And and we have to remember that okay, yes, we signed him from Bayern Munich and therefore he came with a bit of a a reputation or at least the status because you're signing someone from Bayern Munich. But he didn't cost that much money, really, in the grand scheme of things, for Premier League clubs to, I think it was something like seven or eight million, effectively, to, to get him. Hmm. So he has, that's the type of fee that, that you pay, really, for a, a backup player, which is what he's been. Yes, it's been frustrating for him, waiting for his chance, but I actually think he seized it. Other than, I mean, he, he, I bet he still has nightmares about Amadou Anana running at him. I mean, and, and, and that was a, a difficult moment for him up at Goodison, but... Generally speaking, every time he's played for Palace this season, in whichever position that he's been asked to operate in, he's he's put in a real shift, he's put in real effort, and and has done pretty well. Um, and now must be the first American to score for Palace since Johan Kurowski. Ooh, great shout! Didn't I didn't don't know that that's out. true. I haven't checked that either, but yeah, I can't think of many Americans that have represented us. I mean, Greg Berhalter might have scored one before that. I don't remember Greg Berhalter scoring in the second half of that season, but yeah, Johan Kurowski. Because he left mid-season to go to Birmingham. He followed Bruce quite quickly, didn't he, to Birmingham? Or did he wait the rest of no, that season? No, he was there for the rest the of that season. Yeah, I remember him scoring a winner for uh, for Trevor Francis' side at Stockport that season later on. <laughs> later on. But Joe, yeah, anyway, it's a complete tangent. Sorry. No, I love uh, that tangent, though. That's, I, I that's what Joe and I are here for. This I, is what I have yeah. all this USMNT stuff that goes around my head because I have to have to deal with with Greg O'Keefe's coffee, a copy over here at the Athletics. So it's 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 uh, it's just lovely to see him do well. He seems like a really nice fella. All the, yeah. the video clips that Palace put out of him, he just comes across as such a good good guy. And it's it's just nice to see him getting a bit of reward. And you know, he he's still he has comic moments in his in his performances still occasionally. There was one moment in that half where he, he just sort of got distracted, I think, by his own hair at one point, lifted his foot up, and the ball just went underneath it and went out for throwing, but right in front of the away fans. And they well, I was going nice. to reference one in the first half where Joe, Joe rightly says that we've talked about his passing at times, where he met the ball in the half volley and it just flew out for a goal kick the other way. And he literally swore at his foot as if to say, like, <laughs> what do you, what do you, what's that all about? So, I love him. I think he's brilliant. I love, there's, a, there's an honesty and, a, and a, a rawness to him, which is very, yeah. very endearing, but... He's playing at a level now, whereas Joe says, I don't think you notice um, as much as you might have done that the Mark Gay, who again will come straight back in, but presumably will come in and Chris Richards will slot in elsewhere. And that is, that's a very high level Premier League back three, you would have to say. And um, yeah, all, all power to Chris Richards. He's, he's he's had a good season. And, and I think, you know, sometimes players' fate is sometimes benefit from the peculiar situation. You know, that game at West Ham in early December, he, on the Saturday night, he wasn't starting that game. 
something happens, he starts it, and he's played the majority of games since then in a mixture of positions. But he he has become a, a regular in that starting eleven, um, and one of the few German speakers in the squad. So Oliver Glasner might might like to have the odd moment with him. He might get more out of the manager than others will. But anyway, go on, Joe. I'll, I'll talk to you. It's easy to forget because of the the standard of performances that we've got from some of our defenders. Just how young some of them are. Mm. Mark Gay obviously is exceptional in that aspect because he's a leader and captain material at such a young age. Chris Richards is still only 23. There's still so much development there to be had. He's, you know, people talk about defenders peaking seven years after that, you know? So that's someone who has so much to learn from an Oliver Glasner and has, will not have the ego to do anything other than take it all on and try and apply it in games and, he will be much happier now than he was, not just before that West Ham game, but you, you know, think the start of this season, I think he might have already been looking. Yeah. You, the, I would not have begrudged him look, looking elsewhere and getting his agent on the phone in, in the start, in, you know, towards the end of that summer window because I just saw what was in front of him and thought, are they ever going to be out enough for, 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 me, for this to be worthwhile? I'm surely good, good enough to play elsewhere. 40, only 43 first-team starts in his career, Chris Richards. I mean, that, that's that's for Bayern Munich, Hoffenheim, and Palace, and in the league that is. And and that's mm. we forget that he, he's. And there would have been an impatience there. You're right, definitely, definitely would have been an impatience. I need to be playing. I need to be. These guys have got a Copa America coming up in the summer. They've Just got, looking. They've yeah. got the blooming World Cup on home World soil Cup. in 2026. Yeah. I mean, these yeah. are big things. They need to be playing regular first-team football at clubs at a decent level. So it definitely would have come interesting. He didn't He didn't join Crystal Palace to be playing at, you know, Plymouth in the League Cup and then nothing for three months. It's uh, it's it's brilliant that he's taken his chance. And that's all you can ask of them. You know, you get the opportunity. Make sure you take it. And he has. Your, your mate Greg might be the better man to ask Tom, but... He's quite likely to start if he stays fit and yeah. and plays for Palace. He he will start for, a, for the US in in the, the summer, won't he? At the Copa America. The, the the noises were there was a bit of concern, I think. And Greg Berhalter echoed this. He's Greg Berhalter, the ex Palace centre half, who's now the manager of the US MNT, US Men's National Team. Um, and he was a bit surprised when Chris Richards started playing in midfield. This is a this is a set, national setup that's still coming to terms with the fact that Tyler Adams is is has got a long-term injury, who would have been their natural sitting midfielder alongside Yunus Musa. Um, and the fact that, that Richards was in there was like, oh, that's, that's not really where I'd ever seen him play, I think, with Greg. That was Behalter's attitude. Um, but, you know, it's a useful option for us to to have, potentially. But, yeah, you know, if, if, every, if he was fit and he was playing, he would have been a real option for them at centre-back. Um and there must have been a point earlier this season where actually Tim Ream was probably forcing his way back ahead because he was playing regularly for Fulham at the time. But now, now you give it Richards, don't you? Richards is in that team. He's in that team with the Copa in mind, which is a, a fantastic, again, a, a, a competition on home soil where he can, he can again make a proper impact. It's a great shout, Joe. Chris Richards, certainly in with a chance of uh, serious points this week, I think. But I am going to chuck at you both, Mr. Jordan, are you? There are some fair shouts. for. I thought Jefferson Lerma had a very good game. Or JP was at it again. We, we yeah. talked in the previous part about, or maybe that was between parts, we talked about him battering the centre-half um, throughout the game. But a, a, a growing, growing to become a real candidate for player of the season. From well, something we were laughing at. It's crazy. His, his form since probably mid-December 
it's been hard to really argue against how well he's played. It's, it's been exceptional, isn't it? Let's just say this is an example of how far, of how far JP has come this season. We we took an eight year old relative to the game to her first ever football match on on Saturday. Went to the club shop. She didn't want a shirt, so she bought a Crystal Palace teddy bear. After the game, she named that teddy bear Jean Philippe. I mean, this is this is yeah. where he has yeah, at with. There are children going to their first Palace match, being like, "He's the man." Like that is crazy. If he'd said that at the start of the season, <laughs> if we if we had a bit about what Palace player is going to be the influence behind the naming of a teddy bear on the twenty fourth of February. Would not have been Jean Philippe Batetta. But Ted anyway, there's just a, a, a slight off. It would have been who? Tedward. Tedward. Oh, very nice, Tom. <laughs> uh, the, the French speaker there says it so beautifully. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, but no, I am going to give it to Jordan Ayew. Uh, maybe some sentiment as part of this, but it's 200th appearance for Palace. Um, a goal and an assist. I thought the assist was fantastic. Hmm. Um, the goal that he was seemingly furious at scoring, I think it all deserves to be. Uh, kind of wrapped up in a nominee. I have a question for, for you, but I'm going to throw this to Joe first. Um, this was the first time that Jordan and I was scored in consecutive Premier League matches since when, Joe? Probably Aston Villa. Or is it actually, had he done it at Palace, under up front under Royal? Oh, yeah, Sorry. yeah, he's done it at Palace. There oh. is a, a slight oddity to the answer, which is a clue. Oh, okay, so would it be his first goal for Palace against Wolves and then a cup game shortly after. No, even odder. Dom? Premier League matches, consecutive Premier League matches. Premier League matches. Um, I, I, I don't have a clue. Was it Was it last game of one season, beginning of the next? It, closer. Uh, the first game was Watford at home in March 2020. Uh, and the second uh, one was Bournemouth, Bournemouth 14 weeks later. Yeah. So just the 14-week gap. But yeah, that's sorry. I just thought I'd squeeze that one in there. Um, yeah. But Jordan, are you following up a fantastic goal at Goodison Park with uh, a, a simpler finish? The type of goal that we often accuse him of not being in the right place to score. But Jordan, are you, I, I think, is is stepping up. When we need him to, when we've got a few absences, um, he's doing it. Um, there was a, a, a tweet out from... Uh, the FYP Twitter account celebrating Jordan Ayew's favourite or your favourite Jordan Ayew moment in his 200 uh, appearances for Palace. Um, some of the contributions were were great. Uh, obviously, the West Ham goal gets a lot of love. Football kick connoisseur is the goal versus West Ham. It literally can't be anything else, but maybe the goal versus Brighton at the Amex. Maybe um, El Pablo, that incredible goal versus West Ham. Uh, uh, <laughs> Brandon Davis, every single foul that he's drawn, which is uh, <laughs> a lot of moments. Um, Mark uh, Williams, his first goal versus Wolves when he almost shed a tear. That is that is one of my favourites. Um, That's when you before, knew he was an enigma. That's when we knew we had a, a different <laughs> sort of player on our hands. A, a pure it palace, yeah, pure palace legend in the making here. Yeah, one in one in one in twenty. That's okay, Jordan. If you cry every time you score, mate. You're going to be okay. But um, Ian Flux. Um, before I throw it to you two in terms of your favourite Jordan moments, uh, Ian Flux, I like the way he walks like he's just got out of the swimming pool <laughs> and his trunks are stuck to him. <laughs> and I like the way he makes beating his man look effortless. <laughs> but the swimming, it, it nails it because he has got a distinctive way of walking, particularly even after a great moment, like scoring the second goal in front of the Homesdale, he still just looks so annoyed. And, and that's one of the reasons why we love uh, Jordan. But you're... Your favourite moments, gents, in terms of Jordan Eye, is there anything that springs to mind 
either a great moment. Is it the West Ham goal or is it is it something else in, in particular that you... That, let's show a bit of love for Jordan Ayew. He's, he's, he's quite regularly found himself in big moments in games against Arsenal. Big goals. Um, there was equaliser where we came down from 2-0 down at yeah. the Emirates under Roy. Yeah. There was a deflected one, I think, in the reverse fixture. Certainly in the season when he was up front. And um, that the the 3-0 under Vieira, his goal and how he takes it in that was really enjoyable. Obviously, the the, the broader context of that game and the, the result is uh, like, basic magical. Joachim scissor pass through the middle of the defence and mm. he just... Is that, yeah, that was a lovely... Sort of takes it on and, and, it, and pops it with his left foot, which is a, a, the lesser seen finish from him. I... Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll let Dom put his put his pick forward, but I've, I, I you couldn't stop me talking about Jordan Ayew. <laughs> you love Jordan Ayew. You, you really love Jordan Ayew. Yeah, there's just I think Palace is his safe place. I, you know, when we signed him, he's he's had Player of the Year awards at Swansea at Villa, both relegated at the same time though, so not in ideal situations. And he's really, really gets a lot of stick for Ghana. Because yeah. uh, him and his brother Andre symbolise slight um, politics in the the Ghana FA, and there's a, because their dad was a club legend, they're sort of forced into the team a lot more than they should be, particularly at the ages that they are now. Also, we know what uh, Jordan Ayew brings. What he is not is your number nine talisman in a team that should be just battering sides. And you can understand how you might be frustrated if you're chasing a deficit in a big game and. That you know, we don't use him like that. He's offered so much more everywhere else. But um, yeah, I, I think he sometimes you can imagine I kind of understand why he's so miserable, why he doesn't smile a lot. I think he gets it in the neck from so many directions, but there's a reason that every palace manager that has him uses him and gets so much out of him. I mean, this season's actually been quietly you're getting output and end product as well as all the hard work that has earned him start starting lineups and, and other minutes anyway. Um, big, embrace the with, big embrace with the new manager when he went off on Saturday. Glasner clearly saw value in, in the output. No, no more so than the goal and the assist, but just generally, I think Jordan you takes a message onto the pitch and, and runs with it. Dom, any particular moments that you wanted to shed a light on? Well, the two West Ham goals that season were in, were were brilliant. I mean, for different, very different reasons. <laughs> the wonderfully extensive finish in the in the in the second one with the with the slaloming run, but the <laughs> the mess of a VAR going in Palace's favour in the early, relatively early days of VAR as well. I think it might have been the first VAR call that Palace benefited from. Was that right? That I it remember. Was, I think it was the first goal disallowed goal that was given through VAR. Right. I think everything had been. Negative. Removal of joy rather than something actually good coming of it. Right, gotcha. Oh, that's that right. Brilliant it was meme in there. The brilliant the meme lad, that's uh, yeah, the, standing the there. The lad's birthday, birthday cake, yeah. doing his mum's birthday yeah, that's cake right. or something. Absolutely <laughs> magnificent. And yeah, he, yeah, Jordan should be eternally grateful for that particular West Ham fan because he's he's <laughs> helped make it. He, he's but I thought he spoke really, really well about the departure of Roy Hodgson. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was it was really impressive, and it and it showed how much he. He valued the the help that Hodgson had given him and the faith that Hodgson had shown him over the years that he'd been at the club. I think he's right up there. I mean, I know Joel predates Premier League era, but I, I, 
I'd struggle to think of a better pound for pound signing that Palace would have made in what was as it a done? Premier League club. 1.52 million, something like that. Well, they, I think Swansea optimistically said it was 2 million, but I don't think it anywhere near that much. I don't think it was anywhere near. I mean, it's, and that's, even if it was 2 million, that's a complete <laughs> pittance for the number of games they've got out of him and, and the number of fouls he's won. I mean, him getting, him either getting kicked from pillar to post or, Going down remarkably easily and winning his free kick <laughs> has 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 just helped Palace so much over the years. Without it, we're 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 a completely different beast. I love it. I love it. Okay, well, let's divvy up the points. Um, oh, hey, oh no, sorry. My favourite Jordan moment is also West Ham, but for some reason, <laughs> it just sticks with me. Last year, that for all the the misery that he often greets goals with, last year he decided against West Ham to celebrate the eleventh minute equaliser. By taking his top <laughs> off and taking a bookie for some <laughs> unknown reason. And I will love him for that. Just Grimmies, man. The cut yeah, take. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know why he did it. But it just added to the to the love that I have for Jordan Ayew. But yeah, that, that guy is... Um, his, his story arc with Palace fans is, is quite something, I, I think. In terms of the, the change of opinion about Jordan Ayew from large swathes of a fan base, he, he might be the biggest change that I can recall. I, for in in this in this recent era of this Premier League spell, I, I think Jordan Ayew has has really turned the table in terms of how many fans view him. But anyway, let's get to the point. So we have uh, Daniel Munoz nominated by Dom, Chris Richards nominated by Joe, and I have nominated Jordan Ayew. Any strong feelings, gents? I'll 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 now lobby for for Joe's Chris Richards just because I think it might give me some brownie points with Joe with with Greg O'Keefe at my place. Nice. So. Well. Okay. If we are happy, 3 two, one can be used for whatever purpose anyone wants it to be used for. <laughs> yes, so, sure. Uh, and I think we started talking about Chris Richards at the top of the podcast, and there's a man that we, uh, we've probably talked about the longest there than we've ever talked about, and I think that performance and the fact it was his first goal uh, justifies it. So, yeah, happy to go three points for, for Chris Richards. With sentiment, Jordan, goal and assist, 200 appearances, can we give him the two? And then Daniel, I think, has added to his tally. I think he already had a tally, so... He has done very well. But yeah, several honourable mentions to other... We haven't even talked about Mateus Franzer that much yeah. in this podcast. And some, yeah. there, are some, there is someone screaming at their, their, their phone. I hope they are. I hope, right I hope people regularly scream into their phones listening to this podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, listener, thank you so much uh, for, for sticking with us. We will be back after the break with a very quick preview ahead of Trip to Spurs on Saturday. Welcome back to the final part of this week's FYP podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Um, just a quick throwback to the love-in for Jordan Ayew. Um, if anybody hasn't uh, flicked through the Twitter thread uh, created by Tom Dutton regarding uh, Jordan Ayew being delighted by things, I um, I suggest you do, because it's it's very good. Uh, it, it just highlights how miserable he appears after scoring that second goal on Saturday um, so good work, Tom. Second mention of the pod for Tom this week, and we don't often do that, so thank you, uh, Tom. Okay, Saturday sees Palace travel to North London to face a Spurs team whose sole target left this season is to secure a Champions League place. I guess the uncertainty is whether they need to finish in fourth or whether fifth will suffice for them this season. Joe, I just want to ask you, because <laughs> I guess this is just football fandom summed up, there's so much excitement abound throughout the Palace fan base, despite Palace having the worst away form since the turn of the year, 
and Spurs being the second best team at home in the league this season, albeit they're off the back of a defeat at home to Wolves. So you're they saying just, there's a chance. So yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? That's it. That is literally yeah. it. Yeah, the, the the enthusiasm for the you know the new regime and 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 starting with a good result and good performance with the caveat of the the opponents, it's infectious. It it suddenly makes you look forward to this fixture, a fixture that is probably traditionally the fixture I least look forward to in mm. the season in the calendar because we simply have got nothing in this in this certainly since the promotion that we've had. I think it's the one ground we're yet to win at in the league. Obviously, we had the the Martin Kelly game. Uh, in the cup, but they you know, this is a good Spurs side, Spurs side with some of those bigger players returning and, and in form. And I mean, if we pull up trees in this fixture, then you're very much allowed to get carried away with the Oliver Glasner Crystal Palace era already, because it would be unprecedented in this Premier League era. So I've, my expectations are very low. I think, based on what we've discussed in terms of the approach, there will be moments where we can threaten them on the break where we perhaps might not have been able to a month ago, let's say, mm. uh, with the players available. Um, is that going to be enough? Who knows? We're going we're gonna to be pulled from pillar to post. We're going to be knackered midway through that second half. And it's just about can we, what, can we make an impact on them at the other end of the pitch at some point? Are you going, Joe? I am not. I'm opting out of this one. It is one of those fixtures, isn't it? That if you do it one season, it's it's like I might have a year off that one. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Too many. One hey, too la- many. La- oh. Last time we went in May <clears throat> was the day of a king's coronation, and I dare say, if Palace went on Saturday, it might be the coronation of of King Oliver. <laughs> it, it, it really could get a bit wild very quickly if uh, if we do get a positive result. But Dom, what do Spurs do well? But and at the same point. Uh, are there opportunities for Palace to exploit on Saturday? Um, well, well, there will be, and I, I do think that, that that Tottenham have been slightly off colour of of late. Um, that's talking to people. I know they, they 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 snuck it very very late on against against Brighton, but trailed in in that game for a, a long period of that match, and then and then sort of rallied late. They they weren't great at. At Everton, they 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 were they were pushed, you know, quite strongly by Brentford at home um, in a, another three-two win. Brentford again were one up at half time in that match, and beaten by Man City in the previous game. So th- I think there's a there is a vulnerability there to them. They they seem slightly as if they've lost their rhythm, maybe post Afcon and and. Uh, and the Asia Cup, and which obviously took out Son and took out Saar from their from their options and Basuma for a while, um, they've got they've got a lot of pace at the back. And Van der Ven is 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 unbelievably quick, unbelievably quick as a as a, as a centre half. He he'll be he'll be a problem. I I really hope that Munoz and Romero don't get into any spats because that could be unbelievably could be lively. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all know what James Madison is capable of. I don't think he's necessarily found his rhythm quite yet since coming back from injury. But Richarlison's been on form. They've got a lot of familiar faces, and they and they'll they're, they're going to be a massive massive threat. But Here's 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 a here's a little crumb of comfort, which means absolutely nothing. The last time Crystal Palace won a league game at what well, was then White Hart Lane, uh, and I and I do remember this because I 
I believe it or not, I was there. Um, Neil Shipley scored. Palace played three four three Wee. that afternoon. Oh. Um, quite, quite, quite the team they had out. The three centre halves: uh, Paul Warhurst, Herman Hrydeson, and Andy Linnigan. Was um, that was that Padovano's debut? Padovano played eighty minutes, very good with Bruce Dyer and Neil Shipley, the, the, the match winner up top. Uh, so that is insane, you know that you were seven, mate. That is insane that you. I, <laughs> I, I just, I just remember it was it was televised that game. I think yeah, it, it was, was yeah. And I, I just remember being really excited that Lombardo came with all these bells and whistles and noise, and he was another player from Juventus. <laughs> mate, so I was like, Whoa, here we go! It was a, it was a Monday night game. That it was a Monday night. Oh, match. Don, the rest, I, yes, my my dad watched it in the Queen's Arms, and I wasn't allowed to go. The rest of that team, go on. Uh, central midfield: Andy Robertson, Simon Roger, and the the wing backs were Dean Gordon and, and Mark Edworthy put in the cross, which a suspiciously offside. Yeah. Neil Shipley <laughs> put in at least one part of his substantial body was offside, although he wasn't actually that substantial. Then that's really sorry. I'm sorry. Ships, this is pre, pre this daylight was was still the yeah. still the rule back then. Yeah, um, and I, I remember that game. Uh, this is this is a daft anecdote which I can only apologise for. But but I was working for the club that season. Um, I was in their press office. I've been sort of parachuted initially to do work experience, but they'd ended up saying, "Can you edit the program for the year?" <laughs> um, which was fine. And that was the first away game that I'd gone to as a sort of an official in an official palace capacity. So I was in the press club box. suit, Dom. Club suit. Well, it wasn't a club suit, but what I did have to do was go to Sellers. I wasn't allowed to travel with the team, obviously, don't do that. But I, I had to go to Sellers in the afternoon and pick up a Rory Ginty number 34 shirt uh, because Ginty had travelled with the team, young Irish winger. Yeah. He travelled with the squad, but he didn't actually have a shirt or a squad number. So they had to give him one and I had to deliver it to White Hart Lane so that they could. Um, was it printed in the club shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, magic. Yeah, Joe, if Joe is willing to one. offer you untold pennies for that shirt if you oh, still no, have no, that no, shirt. I had to give it to him. He wore it. He had it there. I mean, he wasn't on the... He, I don't think he actually ended up on the bench, but he was in the squad. So I handed it over at the ground and then put it off to the press box and enjoyed the... Uh, very unexpected and welcome... Actually, it was our fifth away win of that season. That yeah, game took mental. place in November. Mental and we didn't win again season. until... January or February? What's the, what are the previous four? Goodison, Ellen Road, Sellers Park against Wimbledon. What's the and fourth one? Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, Sheffield oh Wednesday. yes. Another 3-1, that, wasn't it? Yeah. Jeez, that's ridiculous to start a season like that. We were ninth after that. We hadn't won that's at home yet. We were ninth. Crazy. We didn't win at home until eight. We didn't win again for another, at home for another four months, did we? No. no. Oh, anyway. Anyway, it's not Positive, positive, positive. <laughs> yeah, here you go. 3-4-3, three, three, that's the answer. That, that's why... That's why Palace will go to Tottenham this weekend and win. I really hope that Oliver Glasner just puts a picture of Andy Linnigan on the on the tactics board and says, "Do it for Andy Linnigan." Yeah. <laughs> Stand on Andy. Stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> Stand on the shoulders of Andy Linnigan. That will do the job. Well, we'll end on that. In fact, that might be the name of this podcast, Stand on the Shoulders of Andy Linnigan, something like that. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for. Uh, it's another long one list and we have had some comments that we have droned on a little bit over the last few weeks but come on give us a break this week we had lots to talk about and it's good stuff this week so hopefully um all good by you thanks again to bobby and emma for joining us earlier um and do check out information regarding that cycle to wolves um there will be a post-match pod dropping after saturday's match um 
And you'll all be pleased to know that Mr. Jim Daly will be back in the chair for next week's midweek pod. Dom, Joe, thanks again. Everyone, go well. Sports Social Podcast Network.